Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share, she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal series, five wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise! The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years! The Wise Woman Way, and Susan's latest book, Down There, Sexual and Reproductive Health, the Wise Woman Way. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at the Wise Woman University. But you can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, Justine. we really got to sit down and redo that opening statement since the real new book is Abundantly Well, Seven Medicines, which is going to be coming along this October, already generating a lot of interest, a lot of fun. I am so excited that even before it's being published, it's being so helpful. And I got a letter from a woman who said that she had had breast implants when she was younger, and she got silicosis. She was really upset and really wanted them out, but she was terrified of the surgery. And she saw a copy of the Bound Printed Galleys <clears throat> at one of the places where I've been teaching, and 
spent the evening with it, and she said it showed her how to proceed, how to. She's already made an appointment with the surgeon, and already seen the surgeon. The surgeon has already said to her, how about a tummy tuck and a little liposuction while we're there? And she said, thanks to you, I could look that doctor right in the eye and say, no, I'm coming to have my breast implants out, and that's all I want. So I do hope that this book helps lots of other women say no. How are you, mm-hmm. Rebecca? Yeah, that's one of the things. I'm doing good. That's one of the things that struck me most about your book is how uh, just encouraging people to really do the research and, you know, like really think a whole lot deeper about the choices that they make because, you know, when you go into the doctor, it's so streamlined and they just, you know, it's not, there's no depth to it. There's no, there's no other options. And I've just been seeing so many people with, you know, so many bad outcomes and, um, yeah, the choices that they're, they're making. And a lot of people don't want to put that time in, but, you know, it's, it's such good information to get out there that you have options and you can say no. She got an advocate to go with her for the surgery, and the advocate is so pleased that there are checklists in the book for her so that she knows exactly how to advocate for her friend and to keep her healthy. And, of course, that's what I talk about in The Gap. You remember when I was, like, really struggling with writing those, you know, six pages for The Gap, the shortest chapter in the book. But it's so important because that's the place that we really don't, notice so much. What I find is that a great many people really think that medicine starts on the far side of the gap, that alternative pharmaceutical medicine and deep medicine, that that's medicine, and that the other four medicines, serenity medicine and story medicine, mind medicine and lifestyle medicine, somehow don't constitute medicines. Mm-hmm. In fact, those are the medicines yeah, the that keep us healthy. Surrounding. Keep us... Right. And so they can be used, you know, all the time to keep us healthy and keep us well. And then if we need to go across the gap, if we need alternative medicine or pharmaceutical medicine or surgery or chemotherapy or radiation or bloodletting or psychedelic plants, all of which are in deep medicine, then we can carry those first four medicines with us, at which point they now become complementary integrated medicines because we're doing them at the same time that we're doing the other medicines, not we'll wait until we've had our chemo and then get some acupuncture, but doing it together. Not we're going to look up what herbs can help deal with the radiation after we've had it, but we're going to find that out from my book abundantly well beforehand and use those things beforehand because preventative medicine is what herbal medicine is really about. Mammograms aren't preventative Mm -hmm. medicine. They're not preventing anything. Mm Mm-hmm. And, I mean, even in the medical system now, they're saying that not to get mam- mammograms. And, but that's not all the way known for so many people. I mean, there's a lot of people still practicing in the different, you know, the old, older ways of practicing uh, the allopathic medicine. But the more the word gets out, hopefully people start uh, catching on and, and not like I yeah. when I went into the doctor um when I was pregnant they wanted to take my midwife was worried about the goiter on my thyroid so she wanted me to get some blood work done and I did and they wanted to take my thyroid out while I was pregnant and I was able to say to the doctor you know no way am I doing that and 
um, you know, walk out. I, she she was trying to get into a fight with me about it pretty much, but I just walked out and held my ground. But I think I attribute that to just my my uh, my apprenticeship with you and like being able to you know know that there are other options and and yeah, I'm just very thankful for that. Do you still have your thyroid? Oh yeah, I do. And instead of doing that. I started, you know, using bladder rack and being very conscious about, uh, you know, taking care of myself in a different way and not, you know, eating soy unless it's, like, very fermented and, you know, doing all these other things, you know, that involve deep self-care for myself. And, yeah, I was able to, you know, change my thyroid levels and, and change my health. Yay, you. Yay, Rebecca. And that's the real payoff, yeah. It may take a little time to find out what you have to do to take care of yourself, and it will definitely take time to take care of yourself. But the end result is that you have a healthy self. Yeah, yeah. Whereas if you'd had your thyroid out, you would be dependent on the pharmaceutical industry for the rest of your life. Yeah, and... You know, like going through all of that while you're pregnant, too, it's like that's like the last thing you want to be doing, you know, is like getting dependent on medication. Like who knows what that's going to do to, you know, your breast milk or to the baby, right. you know, like, yeah. So and that's it's what crazy I say that about they recommend the gap, you know. The medicines yeah. on the far side of the gap are not concerned with your health. They're concerned with your life. Mm-hmm. Because they thought that there was a 25% chance that it could be cancerous, that's the thing. And it's like I obviously felt like I did not have cancer. You know, it's like I know myself. I would know if I was had a cancerous tumor in me, I would think. I mean, not to say that, <laughs> you know, but I felt into it and I, you know, said that I could, I could change my health and uh, take care of myself better. So... It sounds like they offered you a giant helping of fear, and you said, no, thank you. Yeah, yeah, and I think that that's what's, I mean, there's so much of that in the world now, you know. It's like everywhere you turn, there's so much fear, and I just see so many people going through that, and it's, you know, I when I was reading your book, it's like a pillar of light, you know. It's like, okay, here we are. We're going to, you know, it's it's a way to, like, kind of revolutionize the way that people are thinking, so... Very thankful, and I'm making my way through it. I'm not all the way through it yet. <laughs> oh, you have the copy of the galleys, right? Yeah, I do. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's not the just listeners. She doesn't have a copy of the book. She's a copy of the galleys. Oh, right. And there's right, no right. in-depth. Only about half the illustrations are in. You notice there's blank pages. Those where illustrations are being dropped in. It's great. There's you know most of the words are in the galleys. There's a lot of typos, but most of the words are there. But the book will be so much better. I don't have it in front of me right now, but I did, and I really appreciate that you put the psychedelics section in there and that quote from Chris Killam about ayahuasca, and it was, I wish I could remember exactly what it said, but it's just like, you know, it's like a, (laughs) it just makes it, you know, it was the perfect quote saying like how strong it is and like how, oh, I wish I could remember the quote. Do you know what quote I'm talking about? I do, but I don't have the book in front of me either. Yeah, and I certainly and wouldn't then, want to miss quoting, but it's there. It'll be there in the in the yeah. final book. 
but I was just thinking about it when I was in the garden this morning, and I was like, and then, you know, this beautiful, the the mushroom medicine and how different it is and uh, of the hummingbird and, like, how it's it's just, like, a totally different kind of medicine with the ayahuasca. That so And having experienced both of them, I was like, you know, you don't have to work so hard for it with the with the mushroom medicine and then with the ayahuasca is like you know taking a torch to yourself you know it's like burning through and just here to say because a lot of people from the show have asked me about my experience after I had shared it a few years ago on here and I'm going to say like there's no need to do the ayahuasca because you can get so much more benefit from doing something that's not so hardcore like putting a torch to yourself you know with the uh, with the the gentleness and the amazing medicine that I think mushrooms are so I just wanted to say that and I really appreciate that section in your book and that, you know, right. is really the difference between the heroic approach and the wise woman approach. The wise woman approach says, let's love ourselves and move where we want to go from love. And the heroic approach says, you filthy sinner. Yeah. You filthy yeah. sinner. You, ha- you have to be beaten up in order to be redeemed. Yeah. I'm glad that I had both experiences so I can, like, draw from both of them. But, I mean, I'm... I don't think that the ayahuasca is like a safe way to go after like seeing so many people alter their lives and in these ways. And um, I'm glad that I had like the support of the deep earth medicine that, that I, or that the mushrooms are because it uh, really brought me back home and grounded me out in a different way. So I had a woman who came here this weekend for work exchange and she told me very earnestly that she wanted to study with me. And I, I said, well, do you live nearby? Do you want to come for classes? What are you thinking of? And she has a big dog. And, of course, because of the goats, I cannot have dogs here, not even in the car. And because goats are really totally terrified of dogs. Sometimes if there's even mm-hmm. a dog that passes out on the road, they won't give milk that day. Or their milk oh, production wow. will they're really frightened of dogs, so I just cannot have dogs here at all. And I said, you know, I well, I do. You know, you can go to my website. There's all these YouTubes. And she looks at me and she says, I don't use a computer. And, and after I talked to her for about five minutes, and there was this kind of, you know, like she would say something. I would do my best to respond and offer her something, and she would just throw up a stone wall. And finally I took a real look at her eyes, and I said to her, where have you just come from? She said, Peru. I've been taking ayahuasca. Mm-hmm. And it was so clear in her face and her demeanor that she was shattered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I know a lot of people that are, like, picking up a lot of fear of, like, things attaching to them after they've done it, and, like, they need to be, like, cleansed of it, and just, like, I mean, it makes, it's not making a healthy state of mind for a lot of people that I've been seeing, and people are doing it way too much, too, so... Yeah, I think that there needs to be a a caution set, and I appreciate you cautioning me on it bef- when uh when I was so interested in it. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm glad I made it through it, <laughs> and, and I didn't do it again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. 
Well, speaking of which, and I was curious also about. Yes. Yes, our guest is Mare or Mary. How does she pronounce it? Do you know? I think it's Mare Cromwell. Mm-hmm. That's what I thought too, Mare Cromwell. And um, she's going to be talking to us about messages from Mother Earth, Mother's 13 Love Directives, and the new Gaia. So she will be here at 9 o'clock Eastern Time. Stay tuned for Mayor Cromwell. All right. And I just want to ask one more thing about the hummingbird. Where did you get information on the hummingbird medicine as part of the, the mushroom medicine? My primary mushroom guide is Maria Sabina. Okay. And I mm-hmm. had had a copy of Maria Sabina, Her Life and Chance, virtually since the day it came out. How my life connected me with her, I do not know, but it certainly was a, a gift of the goddess. To have mm-hmm. the chance of this woman reverberate through my life for such a long time. Um, I am a hummingbird woman. I am a woman who looks into the insides of things. Yes, yes. I am the woman who looks into the insides of things. It's that I am the woman of green shoots. It's that I am the woman of ripe corn. It's that I am the mother. Yes, I am the mother. I am the woman who looks into the insides of things. I am the hummingbird woman. Hmm. It's amazing. Yeah, after I I did uh, some of the the mushroom ceremony stuff that I was doing. I the house that we moved into here or while I was been living here, it's been there is a ton of hummingbirds that come into this yard and it was just like, oh wow, it's like it felt very uh resonant with that. Oh how I even love. held one in my hand recently after my cat brought it in and I had it in a piece of toilet paper and then like I was looking at it and brought it outside, and it was just plain dead, and so it flew away out of my hand, and it was very lovely. <laughs> Back close to it. I feel like it. All right. Well, we have Yay. a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I was glad it flew away because I was like, what am I going to do with this thing? But um, we have a lot of callers on the line. If you have a question, make sure to press 1 to speak with Susan. And our first caller will be coming from a private number. Hi, hi, ladies. Thank you for taking my call. This is Michelle. Susan, thank you so much for all your help all the time. And probably about a month or a little bit more than that ago, I asked you about um, my bladder. And I do drink my herbal infusions, and I think I eat pretty close to the way you always um advocate and I feel usually feel great but I was the person which we um spoke about that had bladder um like sort of an unsatisfactory emptying no pain but I just was concerned about it and um you had told me a while ago to take uh, to to make myself some corn silk um tea and I thought I had done it but I didn't give it a fair shot and I gave it a really great shot this past month, and 
I felt like I got a lot of relief, and I, I, you had told me to wait a month and then ask myself the question whether I wanted to do the break and entry of a cystoscope, which I really I don't trust them, and I don't really want to do that. But I'm calling you tonight because um, even though that was very successful and I was dying to call you back about that, this past week I, I something else has gone down, and I don't know if it's related. It's just frightening me. I was hiking about a week and a half ago, and I felt, I'm 62, I felt a bearing down in my vagina canal, like the same kind I used to get when I got my period, or almost like when I felt like I was ovulating, and I'd been, it just happened once in a while, and then this week I've been waking up with that early in the morning. Um, it's really uncomfortable, and it's a, it's also accompanied by very strong abdominal cramps, but the like spasms, but they subside as soon as I go relieve myself, um, not uh, when I go poop. But what happens is um, they f- I feel better after that, but it's just a constant. Like when I'm walking, I feel like there's something just hurts inside and it only feels better when I sit down so I hope you can give me some advice I'm not constipated but I'm certainly not moving the right way so sorry for all that information but oh please don't don't apologize at all the the more information the better absolutely if I don't sound organized I'm just really I'm trying my mother keeps telling me it's getting worse because I'm stressed but I'm trying to stay calm about it You are very upset, and I'm wondering what's laying underneath that. What do you think is happening that's causing you to be so upset? You know, Susan, I'm not in agony. It's not like I have to run to the hospital, but I really know my body, and this just doesn't feel right, and I I don't want to get caught in their web of – I haven't been to a doctor in so many years. I mean, I had blood work done once just to see where I was at, but I'm just so afraid of them, and I can't afford to go to them, honestly, even if I even if I chose to. And all the things that you've given me over the years. Oh, I'm sorry. All the things you've given me over the over the last year, it just always has helped me and the herbal infusions. And I don't know what's underneath it. I know my mom had some troubles down there, and that could be. I'm picking up on that, but it's just not going away. And when I read abdom, I mean, I know I shouldn't probably look, but I just wanted to see abdominal pain more than four days. You know, go to your doctor, and it's been longer than that. But I dread that. I I, I wouldn't dare. What are they going to tell me? So I'm just hoping there's another thing I can do. Well, what, what could they tell you? Let's let's work through this. First of all, the most important structure is your pelvic floor. Okay. You're a hiker. Yes, and I'm a yogi. Which That's does help to tone the pelvic floor. Yep. But that sensation of bearing down is a sensation that women get as they're getting a prolapse. Oh boy. Okay. That's what the pro. That's what a prolapse feels like. It feels like the tissues are bearing down, right? Right. I didn't know that. Okay. So at the mildest, this could be the beginning of a prolapse, and you're feeling that, and you need to, you know, really get a lot more serious about your pelvic floor exercises, and not just okay. count on your yoga and your walking to do it, but to really set aside some time. 
Dr. Kegel, of course, who created them, suggested that women do, um, I think it was 20 laying down in bed when they woke up in the morning and then 20 sitting and then go to the Mm -hmm. toilet and interrupt the urine stream 20 times while you're urinating. Right. So that you really, you know, do a focus on it. And he had them, you know, do several sets throughout the day. You know, most of us, yeah, pelvic floor exercise is okay, good when I think of it. But if we're in a situation where we think that a prolapse is developing, that's certainly something that we could do that's non-invasive. The other organs that are there would be your bladder, your uterus, and your rectum. Right. Which is the erect part of the large intestine, right? It comes up on the right side, over under the rib cage, and then down on the left side, and then it makes a little bend and then goes straight down. And that's the rectum named after erect. And all of that is in that area, and you feel a bearing down through that area. So there's a possibility of what would cause a bearing down feeling in those organs. If there was... um, a growth in those organs, you would feel a, a bearing down, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of wondering if that's what you're afraid of. Well, it is. That and, like, I don't want to sound like an idiot, but um, I'm afraid of all of that because there's no, I mean, I just don't know. An idiot? Fear is, fear is not about being specific. Fear is about being general. Right. Um, and the other thing is... Often the less fear that we have. So what would be involved there in terms, starting with the rectum? <clears throat> it's been very interesting researching for uh, awesome, for Abundantly Well Seven Medicines, um, and how colonoscopy got to be, you know, like the the test of the day when um, one in 200 colonoscopies causes a major life-threatening event. My aunt and at this point, they're estimating that all people receiving colonoscopies are subject to internal bleeding from the colonoscopy. So how did we get there? Sigmoidoscopy is better and far less invasive, but once again, it's money, money and insurance. It's not the patient's health. A colonoscopy is safer or better for you, and the prep is pretty fierce. And a sigmoidoscopy doesn't require that. Taking a couple of steps back even from that, there are fecal occult blood tests that you can do. You might even be able to buy one at the drugstore. Right. The one that you if not, right. if you need a gatekeeper, then you go to a doctor and you say, I want a fecal occult blood test. Some of them even have a DNA analysis with them. I think it's called FIT, the fecal... Um, immuno-something test. And those are totally non-invasive. You just smear some of your poo on something and send it to the lab. They're not totally accurate, but they're they're good enough to allay your fear. Right. Right? Yes. With your uterus, if you think there might be cancer in your uterus, what a doctor would do would be an endometrial biopsy. That is, is that an, like a that's an inpatient procedure. It's mildly painful, about mm-hmm. as painful as the third day of your menstrual period. Uh-huh. 
and it, you'll get pathology back, and they will say there's cancer cells in, the, in your uterus, or there's cancer cells in your endometrium, or there isn't. And you get Can a you point. Sorry, at, at, at an older. Point, I think what we want to do is to ally your fear to let your to calm your fear down. Okay. So if you get a fecal occult blood test and it says you're fine, and you get an endometrial biopsy and it says you're fine, then the only only thing left is your bladder. And I don't think you're really worried about your bladder. I could be wrong. Well, I, my bladder is what started all this, and I feel like I, I feel like it got a lot better. Really being religious about the corn silk, and and just paying a lot of attention to it. And I was I must admit I was doing those kegels religiously every time I took a bath, which is almost every day. And and when I and you know I really did it three or four times a day. And then I I eased off because I just figured oh I must have cured myself but um I don't know it just I almost feel like I never I'm completely in the last few weeks I never completely empty my colon in the lower like more sigmoid area I mean I feel okay but and I started eating more salads that was your suggestion and um there was even a moment where I took I hope this was the right thing I I added some yellow dock um once a day 10 droppers I don't know 10 drops I, I read that something in down there, I believe. And is and um, what what is, is the results of using that yellow dock? Well, I felt like I was less um, like I I was never I don't want to say I was constipated because it was just hard to get stuff out. But um, the yellow dock made it. I felt like I don't know if this is true. I felt like it made it easier to let stuff out. But I was also taking slippery elm in my oatmeal. So I don't, I can't pinpoint who is responsible. So. It's true, you can't. <laughs> right. I mean, I, I should probably should have done one thing, but I threw Yellow a lot of stuff. is generally known for increasing peristalsis, which is the rhythmic muscular movement through the intestines. Right. Right. Okay. So my sense would be, that you can do the fecal occult blood test pretty easily. You may need a doctor as a gatekeeper to get that test for you. I don't know. And the endometrial biopsy is invasive, but very low risk. Mm -hmm. And that it might be worthwhile to do these because I feel how intense your fear is. Right, and that could be making anything worse. So. No, not that it could be making anything worse, that it's a signal to us. Your uh, fear isn't wrong. You're not wrong to be afraid. Your fear is an emotional signal from your body. Hmm. Okay. So let's follow up on that in the least invasive ways that we can. Okay. And if if it were the beginning of a prolapse uterus, would that actually make you feel like your bowels couldn't move the same way? Yes, of course. Okay. I, I makes sense structurally. I just didn't know if that would be part of it. Yeah. And would you feel that, like, before you got up in the morning, like, before you had to pee, would that be, like, a symptom, like like an intense sort of, like somebody's pulling your 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 innards sort of out? Is that, is that sort of the line with that each woman's experience is so unique and so different I see I knew one woman whose uterus was prolapsed to the point where her cervix 
actually poked out from between her vaginal lips. Oh, goodness. She was there at the conference I was teaching with her husband, and they described in very intimate detail how they had intercourse, how he pushed her uterus back up in her body so that there was room for him. Oh, my goodness. Oh, that scares me, too, because I feel like my grandmother had that, and they just took, they just gave her a hysterectomy. It wasn't exactly. even like... Exactly. And prolapse and incontinence is not because you're overweight, and it's not because you've given birth. It tends to be more genetic. It runs in families. If your grandmother had a prolapse, then you are more likely to have a prolapse. Okay. All right. Thank you so much, okay. Susan. You have a copy of Down There? I do. I do. Okay, right because my... I go into a lot of detail about prolapse in Down There. I didn't even take a look there. So now I've got to read that. All right? I, will I hope you call you... back and let us know the results of the test, all right? Thank you so much. Green blessings. Good night. Thank The next caller is coming from the 718 area code. Hi, Susan. Hello. I wanted to know what would be a good um, herbal spray that I could use for sun protection. Um, I'm in Florida for a few days, and I didn't, you know, have that in mind. It was a last-minute decision. So I was hoping that I could use one of the herbs that I have with me to make, like, a spray to... um, I don't know of any herbal tincture that is a sun protectant, but olive oil okay. protects against the sun if you put it on your skin. Of course, okay. our, our favorite way to use olive oil to prevent sun damage and sunburn is to infuse hypericum blossoms in it. So then we have red oil or hypericum oil, which we find does a really superb job of uh, protecting the skin from the sun. Okay. But I don't. I, have I don't have a sprayer that could spray that oil on. I know there right. are sprayers that can spray oil, but the sprayers that I can get hold of are pretty tiny, and they even get clogged. Mm-hmm. Like if I don't strain my tinctures, not just through a wire mesh, but through cloth, they'll clog those sprayers. They're really easily clogged. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's that's a good point. Um, I guess I could just do it with my hands. Um, just apply it that way. Would if I have the? Oh, I usually John apply Wart the oil. It's just with my hand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, if I have the same John's Wort tincture, should I put a few drops with the olive oil? If I don't. And no, it won't do a thing. Oh. No, the tincture is different okay. than the oil. You will not have extracted okay. constituents in the tincture that you will have extracted okay. in the oil. Okay. And not only that, the oil won't won't the tincture won't mix with the oil. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right, it's like making okay. dressing. Right, you can put the vinegar in there with the oil, but you better shake, 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 and even then they'll separate. It'll, right, it won't mix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Okay, I will try then just the olive oil and see how that um, how that does. Would coconut yeah, some, oil some be people, option? Or? People they say that coconut oil is also a good sunscreen. Okay, I'll try that as well. And I was wondering. Um, I was trying to figure it out, how to pre-order your book online. 
can you just tell me what to go under? Or I don't so know far as I know, there should be a pre-order form at wisewomanbookshop.com. Okay. I could be wrong. Without getting into family history, <laughs> I said <laughs> months ago we should have a pre-order form. I made a pre-order form. I took pre-order forms with me to yeah. Wisconsin. I sold books. Justine said, no, we shouldn't have pre-orders. I stopped selling them. Then she said, oh, my gosh, Amazon has pre-orders. We have to sell pre-orders. So we started selling them again. So So that's why I say it should be there. Right? (laughs) Because that's our goal is to encourage you. There was also a point at which I think that Justine was considering some launch in which we encourage people to all buy it at Amazon on the same day. Oh, okay. So I so if it's not there, then that's what she has in mind is some launch thing. Okay. Great. And I just stay in touch with you and as soon as there's some way for you to get it, we will let you know. Is that good? Uh, that would be great. And just oh. one other um quick question. A farmer gave me some cranberry leaves that he wasn't using, and I was wondering if I can make a tincture out of it. What would cranberry leaf, leaf tincture be good for? I never had had that before. I wouldn't make a cranberry leaf tincture. Okay. Okay, that, that answers that. Okay, awesome. If I Thank wanted to make a cranberry leaf tincture, the first thing I would do would be to go to James Duke's website and look up the constituents in cranberry leaf, if he even has it. Okay. And James then I would Duke. see if any of those constituents were alcohol-soluble. Uh-huh. Okay. Because the fact that you put something in the alcohol doesn't mean that you're going to get anything, does it? No. There has to be something there for you to get. Right. So what are the traditional uses of cranberry leaf? I'm not familiar. I just know people use cranberry as like... Cranberry? I don't know of any uses for cranberry leaf. Right. I don't don't either. That could just be my ignorance. Mm -hmm. But doesn't sound like a good bet for me. If I if somebody gave me cranberry leaves, I'd probably just leave them dried and maybe try them as a tea. Okay. Most leaves, most leaves contain polyphenols. Most leaves contain some antioxidants. So long as I was assured that the cranberry leaf wouldn't kill me, I would drink it. And I would look that up too, to be sure. Because sometimes mm-hmm. there's you know, there are plants in which one part is edible and the other part is poisonous. So the fact that we can eat cranberries does not imply or ensure that we can eat cranberry leaf. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll check that out. Thank you for pointing pointing that out to me. Yeah. All right. Thanks for your call. Okay. Sure. Thanks, Susan. Green blessings. Good night. The next caller is coming from the 818 area code. Hello? Hi. Hi, Susan. So I, I'm continuing a question. All right. On bitter bitter melon. Yes. Yes. Okay, so I bought about, I don't know, over a year ago, and, and yes, I'm doing nourishing herbal infusions. 
Oh, so I bought over a year ago dried bitter melon. I'm not, I can't remember if it's leaf or root. And I tinctured it for like a year and a half. And it seemed to definitely regulate my blood sugar. Then I found bitter melon in a little Asian market um, here in California. And I bought a bunch of it. And I actually, then then I um, blended the seeds and the whole plant. Um, I don't know if it was imported. I, I think from Korea. I'm not sure. Um, and then I've been tincturing it for eight weeks now and it just it's just like light yellow but the bitter melon from the dried plant is really dark brown what are your thoughts when plants dry Mm -hmm. compounds called tannins are created okay tannins are dark brown So you made a tincture from dried plant material in which there was tannin development. Okay. What's the difference between green tea and black tea? You know that the early English people to China thought that they were different plants, that there was a green tea plant and a black tea plant. Oh, wow. What's the real difference? I couldn't even answer that. Black tea is green tea that has been dried in the sun and allowed to ferment, so it turns black. The tannins are developed. Oh, it's fermented. Right. Oh, because it rotted? Or, it's it's or slightly. Dried? Yeah. So, well, slightly or more okay. than slightly. There's some very expensive black teas that are quite rotted. Mm-hmm. Different constituents occur when a plant that ferments like that. And, yeah, there are some, you know, there are – I'm at least dozens, perhaps hundreds of different kinds of tea, depending on how the leaves are treated. So the first tincture you made was from dried plant material, which is always going to have tannins because it's been dried. Okay. For instance, if you make a tincture of fresh motherwort, it will be light brown in color. And if you make a tincture of dried motherwort, it will be almost black. Wow. And that's from the tannins that developed as that plant dried. And then when you made a tincture from the fresh plant, there weren't tannins. Interesting. Now, many of us somehow have come to associate strength with ability, which is not always the case. And many of us have come to associate a darker color with a stronger thing, which is not always the Mm -hmm. case. Okay. The human body does does not always need to be sledgehammered. Sometimes a gentle, why don't we do it this enough? Mm. Okay, so now I'm going to definitely join with that bitter melon that came from the fresh part. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I can I can I'm looking at it it's just like light yellow and I'm thinking, mm, did I do this wrong?" I know I didn't. But I think, oh, this is going to be wonderful. Okay, so, beautiful. And then I will do my blood sugar and see how this helps, because that's what I'm using it for, is just, um, it it seems to really help regulate my blood sugar. I'm so glad to hear that. 
Yeah, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I just think I'm just doing it on my own. No doctors, no doctors for years. Ever since you gave your first podcast and I started on nursing herbal infusions, I have never been to a doctor. And everything. Oh my gosh. No, no, no. And no, and, and I'm serious. I'm, and it started with the poke root and the horrible root canal, which I've had ripped out. So, um, not ripped out. That's that's a taken out. Put it that way. Extracted. Yeah, yes. Like, and, and make sure you get everything. That's so. If do you have time for one more question? We have to ask if, Rebecca. Yeah, let's ask Rebecca. We have, uh, oh, I can't even count all of the people who have their hands raised oh, okay. right now. That's how many we have. So I think we no, should we don't. move on. And- okay. Green blessings. Let, let me just think bye. on this one, and I'll call you back next week. Love you. Wonderful. Bye-bye. Okay. All right. Bye. And the next caller, I think, is from out of the country with a 614 country code. Hello. Hi. How wonderful. How exciting. Okay, so um, I'm in Australia right now, and I'm in the Northern Territory, and I've recently wanted to get started on the herbal infusions, and I live in a van. So I'm wondering, because I don't have a cooler, would it be safe to boil water first thing in the morning, do the herbs, and then let it sit for four hours, and then just immediately drink it right afterwards? Or is it kind of going to be risky? I'm unclear as to what the risk would be. Well, that's what I was wondering, because I couldn't understand if after you do the herbal infusion, you need to put it in the fridge right away. No, no, you do not need to put it in the fridge. Beautiful, wonderful. But great. So I. But oh, but they are rich in protein, and if they are not refrigerated, they will spoil, and they will spoil quickly. Yes. Even refrigerated, it's difficult to get nettle or oat straw to be good for more than one day. Okay, good to know. But all the other ones, so oat straw and nettles are the ones that are. Well, they high they in go protein. off the fastest. You will also also find yeah. that red clover and comfrey are high in protein, and so they're not going to last a long time either. Perfect. Okay. One of the reasons that and, I that I tend to do my infusions overnight is that I have a basement, and I can take the infusion down to the basement and put it on a concrete floor, which pulls the heat out of it so that it doesn't spoil while I'm brewing it. Perfect. So you don't keep it in the fridge at all while you let it sit. Wonderful. I was very unclear about that. Um, Absolutely not. I I only refrigerate it after it is steeped and after I've strained it. Yeah, because you want the heat to extract it, so that makes sense to me. Beautiful. So then, not only that, it would um, murder your fridge to have hot liquid put in it, boiling hot liquid put in it. Yes, it would. Well, great. 
And so the next thing is they don't have a hundred proof alcohol here. It's just not allowed in the Northern Territory. So I'm wondering what's the highest. You will have to go to another territory because 80 proof will not work. Okay, it just won't work. It won't work, no. Okay. Good to know. Shit. It's a process of osmosis, which means that constituents are coming from the plant to a solution that is less. The plant is about 75 to 80% water. When you're using 80-proof vodka, that's 60% water. So that's pretty close to what the plant is. When you're using 100-proof, it's only 50% water. This is now enough to set up osmosis and to get the alcohol-soluble compounds out of the plant. It's not that the 80-proof gets less, it's that it doesn't get them, doesn't get those compounds. Okay. Okay, well, because I wanted to do, because I was really interested in the, I believe you said that you use St. John's wort, or Jones wort, Hypericum, for uh, jet lag. I thought that was really, really cool, and I wanted to have an experience with that. Are you having growing there? Um, no, the Northern you Territory cannot, is kind of bland. You cannot make the tincture with dried hypericum. Oh, you can't? Absolutely not, under no circumstances ever. Okay. It always has to be fresh. Must be fresh. Poisonous compounds ju- develop when the plant dries. Ah, okay. <laughs> okay, wonderful. It's really good to know. Is that, is it just with St. John's or... or all plants with change all- as they dry, but if you check out the information that I I always say tincture of the fresh flowering top of Hypericum. Mm. Okay. And many times I say avoid any remedy made from dried Hypericum. Okay. All right. What would happen if you, you did? You could become so sensitive to the sun that you would get a sunburn sitting inside the house. All right. Well, thank you. Now I know. You're welcome. Have a good day. You too. Bye-bye. Green blessings. Bye. The next caller is coming from a private number. Susan? Hi. Hello, Susan. Um, Susan, I have a question uh, regarding um, tetanus. So my question is, if you um, either scrape yourself with a really rusty nail or, you know, I know usually they say there's about nothing special about rusty nails. Pardon? There's nothing special about a rusty nail. No, but they say if, if you scrape yourself or you get a wound from a rusty nail, then, you know, you're at risk of getting the tetanus infection. No, right? they don't say that. No. No, they don't. There is nothing special about a rusty nail. That's what I'm telling you. No, this is a, a fib, a myth. Tetanus is a bacteria that lives in the soil. It lives in all soil. It only grows in the body in an aerobic 
situations and aerobic without oxygen. Oh. You step on a nail and get a puncture wound, whether the nail is brand new or rusty, and that wound closes over at the top, and that nail or your foot has come in contact with soil, then you could get tetanus because it's a deep puncture wound that's closed at the top. So you've now set up an anaerobic situation. Oh. You could step on a brand new staple in the garden and get tetanus. You could step on the world's oldest rusty nail from a horse barn and not get tetanus if you keep the wound soaked and open. There's nothing special about a rusty nail. Okay, so let's say you scrape yourself on a... You scrape yourself, you have no nothing to worry about. You can't get tetanus in a scrape. But I was around soil in the garden, yeah. That's where I got it. Is it a deep puncture wound? Is it a wound that will heal over on the top, leaving unhealed tissue underneath where tetanus can grow? No, it's scabbing over, but it's still You're red... It's red, red around it. The like histamine it's... response that your body is fight, fighting infection there. Okay. So and it's if okay. you're worried, keep it wet. Keep it wet. Okay. Keeping it wet will oxygenate it, and then you can't get tetanus. Okay. So by keeping it wet, I can put some calendula oil on it. That's what I've been doing. That I mean, um, wonderful. Yeah, calendula oil. Yeah. Yeah, because because uh, you know, like a lot of my. Um, well, friend said, no, you need a tetanus shot. And I was like, no. I've had the series as a child, so. Well, you didn't have a series. There's only one tetanus shot. It's not a series at all. Okay. Well, I had that and then a few boosters after, well, when I was growing up, I guess. So. Yes and no. Gen- generally, tetanus is re-given every 10 years. Okay. There wouldn't be any particular reason to give you boosters for it as a child. Um, Generally, in hospitals, if you have a wound that's sewn up, they will give you a tetanus shot because they've created a place where tetanus can grow by closing over the – by sewing up the surface of the wound, right? Oh, by suturing. Yeah, okay. So I get it. Tetanus is an anaerobic bacteria. It can only grow in the absence of oxygen. Any wound that is open, any wound that is wet – you cannot get tetanus in. Okay. It's just that where I got it, that leg seems to be painful, and I was just thinking, oh, is it something going on? So do, you know what, do you know what tetanus is? Yeah, it's a bacteria. Tetanus is a disease that causes muscle contraction, and every muscle in your body contracts all at the same time. Oh, It's like leg cramps in every muscle of your body. You're in horrible, screaming pain, and you are hauled off to the hospital. It -hmm. does not cause an ache in your leg. Okay. All right. So in this case, I guess there's no need for a vaccination because I was kind of getting a lot of that from people. So I was like, I don't think that I need it in this situation. I'm not sure who your friends are, but they know nothing about medicine. I concur. So what I would say to those people is, excuse me, please. I am happy to take your advice on something you have expertise, but you have no expertise on this. So let's talk about something else. 
Because basically all they're, all they're trying to do is inoculate you with fear, right? Inoculate with fear and then eventually end up inoculating myself with the, you know, with the tetanus vaccine, which is what the next step would be if I went to the doctor's office, right? I already know. Because he'll just look at it and you he'll go and ask for it. If you go and ask for it, but if you went to a doctor and asked for a tetanus shot because you had a scrape, the doctor would laugh in your face. Well, it it was kind of open. I, it wasn't a puncture. Because it's open, it can't get tetanus. Okay. I'm I somehow I am not being clear. And I, aerobic without oxygen. Tetanus is a bacteria that can only grow when there is no oxygen available. Anytime a wound is open, it is impossible to have a tetanus infection in that wound okay. because there is oxygen, and the oxygen kills the tetanus. Okay. And so once it scabs over, there's a higher risk. That's what you, you're, is what I'm inferring, right? Or This is a very deep wound. We're talking about a wound that's a quarter of an inch deep here? No. I thought you said it was a scrape. Yeah, it's more along the lines of a scrape, Susan, yes. Well, then it, then there is n- no place for tetanus to grow. If it's scabbed over, the scab is right on the, on the skin. There's no opening underneath, right? Do you, do you, can you envision the wound caused by stepping on a nail or stepping on a staple? Can yeah. you envision that wound? What does that look yeah. like? That would it's be a, a deep, long, deep wound, right? Yeah, that's right. It would now, be. when it heals at the surface, the inner part of it is not healed, is it? No, it's just got a cover on top that's sealed. It's it. just so got a cover on top where oh, tetanus can grow. Is that what your scrape looks like? Yeah. It's very superficial. So. That's what a scrape usually is, is very superficial. That's right. So I, I get it now. Now that I've pictured it, I know. So it's kind of like sealing on the top, creating an anaerobic environment for the bacteria to sort of brew and, you know, incubate in there. To live and grow. It can only live and grow in an anaerobic situation. That's what it likes. That's what makes it grow. You, you Of course there's tetanus in that scrape. But so what? Yeah. can't grow. Yeah. It's probably in every cut we all get. It's a really common soil bacteria. Yeah, well, you see, we don't know this until, well, you know you know everything, I know. Well, I don't, but I did grow up in a restaurant situation with a great many people who did not have the resources to have a tetanus immunization, and so I saw people get tetanus, yeah. and they mostly got tetanus from opening cans in restaurants. And they would cut themselves on the can, which would make a deep wound, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. And it would heal over at the top, and then they would get tetanus. That's and they right. weren't even in the garden, and it certainly wasn't a nail. Yeah. But that, and we like would the, take them to the hospital, and they would get the anti-tetany shot. Meanwhile, they would be in horrible pain. But I don't know of anybody who died from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know. So I actually grew up seeing people have tetanus. Wow. Maybe that's one of the things that makes me so okay about it. Yeah. 
that I, you know, I know that while it's certainly, you know, nothing you want, and yeah. there's a, a easy immunization to get, get it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah. uh, I'm not worried. Okay. And I yes, I walk barefoot everywhere. Yeah, as do I. That's my problem. I like to feel Mother Earth everywhere. So, yeah. Not a problem. Not a problem. Soak your feet. Yeah, yeah. Soak your feet at the end of the day. Any little wounds won't be able to grow that tetanus. Yeah. Just keep it moist. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Susan. I also actually called you because I wanted to take this back and tell those same people that, you know, it's not the end of the world. You don't have to run for a tet back every time, you know, because that was kind of like what was being said, and I kind of wanted to so take this piece and just, yeah, so thank you. So hopefully now you can explain it to them so that they can get it too. Yeah, thank you. All right. Great blessings. Good night. God bless. The next caller is coming from the 240 area code. This is Mary Cromwell. Hi. And I didn't know. So I'm on early. You can I can connect back in at 9. Oh, hi, Mary Cromwell. Yes, you are early. Good. You'll call back at 9. Wonderful. We look forward to speaking to you then. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know how to connect in, so I love your show, and we'll talk shortly. <laughs> Okay, great. You can listen in. Just don't push the one, and then you won't be in the queue. <laughs> I'll follow those instructions. Thanks. Okay, okay. I got you now. I know you're new, so. <laughs> Great. Uh, okay. Okay, we'll talk to you soon. All right. The next caller is coming from the 919 area code. Hello? Hi. Hi. Um. My question is about why soda is bad for you. Why what is bad for you? Soda. Soda. I'm not sure exactly what you mean. Bicarbonate of soda? Well, what I mean is, like, why is, like, sugar bad for you? Oh, you mean like soda pop? Yeah. Oh. Uh, sorry, my chemistry background didn't connect me into soda as being a, something to eat. Um, okay. Why is refined sugar bad for you? The first reason that refined sugar is difficult for you is that we need to get a certain amount of nutrition every day in order to keep our bodies repaired and healthy. And we need to get that nutrition without getting too many calories. What happens if we get too many calories to get our nutrition? Well, since I'm a kid, I'm not really sure. Okay. Well, what happens if you eat too many calories as you get fat? Well, I think... You're, because yeah. your body can't use all of those calories. So when yeah. you're eating sugar, you're getting more calories than your body needs. And even though as a child you're growing and so using a lot of calories, 
nonetheless, that sugar is setting you up for obesity later on in your life because of the way your cells are learning to respond to that white sugar. Sugar itself is not deadly. There's no reason that a good diet can't include some sugar, but most of the time, people who drink sugar, whether that's fruit juice or soda pop, are taking in calories that their body doesn't even really get or understand. And as little as one soda pop a day vastly increases your risk of certain cancers, like cancer of the bladder. As little as one soda pop a day vastly increases the risk that as an adult you'll be diabetic and have to stick your finger every day to measure your blood sugar and take drugs to deal with diabetes. So those those are not fun things. They're not things that are going to happen to you if you drink a soda pop today, right? They're things that are going to happen to you later on, but you can probably see adults around you who are dealing with some of those things and who probably are not really, really happy. On page 157 in my new book, I quote, There is a growing evidence that sugar leads to cravings and withdrawal, which are the hallmarks of addictive disorders. In short, sugar is probably addictive. The sooner you get on the drug that is sugar, the longer you will have to mess your health up with sugar. So if we're going to eat sugar at all, better to eat as little as possible. Sugar is worse for your heart than saturated fat or salt. Sugar is as bad for your liver as alcohol is. Sugar raises blood pressure and cholesterol even in children. (laughs) Soft drink a day, especially if artificially sweetened, triples the 10-year risk of stroke, which can kill you. A soft drink a day shortens lifespan as much as smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. Sugar interferes with sound sleep, which means your immune system is not working well. Consumption of sugar is strongly linked to dementia and Alzheimer's. Consumption of sugar vastly increases the risk of depression and autoimmune diseases. It vastly increases the risk of being obese. It causes cavities, inflames the gums, and increases tooth loss. And cancer cells love it, especially squamous cell carcinomas. So sugar is what your body turns the food you eat into, and there's a great number of sugars. Sugar is sucrose, fructose, corn syrup, maltose, dextrose, amazaki, cane juice, fruit juice concentrate, sucralose, saccharin, aspartame, honey, maple syrup, sorghum, agave. It's all sugar. The average American is eating about 65 pounds of sugar a year or more than a pound of sugar a week. And the vast majority of that is coming in through up. Mm-hmm. Well, I my mom is like 
sort of good at herbs, and she makes the um, herbal infusions that I drink. Good. And then also, I live on a farm, so I get, like, a lot of fresh vegetables and fresh meat and all that kind of stuff. So where is this where's the soda pop coming in? Um I don't drink any. Uh-huh. Yeah. I just wanted to know why it's bad. Well, did the things I tell you help? Yeah. Cuz Yeah. Um it's it's, uh, it's as bad for your for your health as smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. I think that's an easy one to remember, huh? Yeah. A single a single soft drink a day is as bad for your health as smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. That's I think that's pretty easy for anybody to get, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you're eating a healthy diet. And you may also find that the friends and people that you know are very resistant to hearing anything about health. So don't be too deeply disappointed if they say, oh, yeah, 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 so what, and drink their soda pop, because a lot of people are that way. Yeah. Thanks so much for your call. Green blessings. Good night. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. The next caller is coming from the 973 area code. Hello. Hi. Hi, Susan. Thanks so much for taking my call. I really appreciate all of the uh, knowledge you share online and your generosity with that. So thank you. You're welcome. Um, my, my question is about my partner. So um, it, he's a male, and he is experiencing chronic Why is he not calling me? <laughs> That that's a good question. Um, I don't do secondhand consultations. Okay. Um, well, because it's not worth my time. If he's not interested enough to call me, he's not interested enough to take my advice. You might be right. Um, well, I will, either you and I are going to get involved. It's his body, it's his life, it's his health. Yeah. Well. Part of why I was calling was to see if there was anything I could do because it has to do with after we have sex. Um, He's getting chronic UTIs. And so I was wondering if there was anything I could do around. Do you have uh, urinary infections? I don't, no. I don't. So, so, So what could you do then? If you're not passing it to him, what could you do? I didn't know if there was something I could do to change my vaginal flora in any way that could reduce your vaginal uh, flora and not giving him urinary tract infections. Mm. Okay. So there's something that's happening on his end after we have sex that doesn't have anything to do with me. Correct. Because okay. if it had something to do with you, you'd have the infection too. Okay. 
Well, that's very helpful. All Thank right. Thank you for, for, for answering that. Thanks so much. Green blessings. Good night. Thanks. The next. Hello. Taking my call, Susan. Hi. Hi. Um, so I've called you before about digestive distress, particularly having a lot of bloating. And uh-huh. I have recently had an intuition, perhaps, that I have pinworms. And the reason why I think that is because I have severe anal itching that wakes me up in the middle of the night and um, sometimes it's in the folds of my vulva as well and I'm not having any kind of um, infection coming out of my any discharge from my vagina or anything like that but um, the itching around my anus has me thinking that I might have pinworms and the truth is I have to pick up in a stool sample so that's your next step take Stool sample to somebody who can tell you whether or not you have pinworms. They're pretty easy to get rid of, you know. It's an nasty drug, but it does get rid of them. And they're highly contagious. If you have pinworms, everybody you live with has, has pinworms. Okay, good thing I'm alone. Yeah. So the best way to get rid of them is just taking whatever the drug is. Like there's not, um, there's not a great herbal alternative just take the drug and this to my mind this is where the drugs really shine okay if you take an herb that's going to kill a worm it's going to kill you too got it that makes a lot of sense we can in the laboratory we can take out the part that kills the worm and leave the part that kills you behind okay right right it's not going to be nice for you it's not going to you know make you feel Superior, but it will kill all the worms, and that will be the end of it. I mean, I can tell you, I tried. I slept in a child's bed, and I got pinworms, and I looked up a remedy, and the remedy was aloe, and you take a a significant piece of aloe leaf. And it certainly worked, but I would never suggest that anybody did that because the pain was the most outrageous pain. And... you know, I, I, was, I was at work, and I literally had to go in the bathroom and lay in the corner of the toilet stall and cry oh. real hot. Wow. And that was from the aloe. That was from the aloe. And then I had a bowel movement that was just filled with worms. Oh, my goodness. But I was in horrible, horrible pain for hours and hours and hours. All right. So I guess the next step is I take a stool sample in to a doctor and have them test it to confirm. Right. Okay. Either that or you get somebody with a flashlight who comes in and looks at your butt at night because the worms do crawl out. If you're itching, there are worms there and they can be seen. Oh, well, well, well. <laughs> it's so disgusting. A little easier to go to a doctor, right? <laughs> but mothers will often check their kids, you know, with a flashlight and then, you know, go in before they go to sleep and just pull those covers back and open those little legs and check to make sure. Yeah. Okay, so after I take these drugs to kill the worms, um, it, should just be, something... it should just be one drug. Okay. There shouldn't be multiple. Yep. Okay. okay. So um, 
is there something that I should do to re-nourish? Like, is there anything that this drug is going to... Are you drinking your nourishing herbal infusions? Yeah, I'm doing infusions. Okay, good. And you're eating cooked greens. Yes, lots of cooked greens. I think you're doing the things that you need to do. All right. Okay. Okay. All right. Thank you. Green blessings. Green blessings. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. The next caller is coming from the 415 area code. Hi, Susan. Hi. Um, thanks for taking my call. I wanted to talk about my tonsil. It's been, it's fairly large. It, the left one touches my uvula, and it's been that way for over 20 years. Um, and it's not, doesn't hurt. It, it just, I've in the last like 10 years I've noticed a um, little bit of apnea if I try and sleep on my back I'll wake up choking I wake up with a dry mouth I wake up with the headaches and I definitely want to not be that way anymore and I know it's from when I was in my when I left the west coast and moved to the east coast in college I had um, bronchitis and strep like about five times in one winter and Every time I went to the doctor, they gave me antibiotics, but the, the the tonsils, both of them swole up, and I guess the left one never went down. I don't know if it's actually swollen or if it's that scar tissue. Can't really, there's not a lot of research available to me on what is what it is, why it's still so big after all these years, and why it won't go down. And I wonder if you have any ideas or suggestions. Well, I'm somewhat relieved that it's been like that for 20 years because I was at a party Sunday and I met someone who had cancer of his tonsils. Yes, I um, have heard, I've seen the pictures online, not pretty. And it started by his tonsils getting bigger. Yeah. You know, to me, one of the reasons that I was really enthralled with this conversation is because the person I was talking to was an MD and a surgeon. And he wow. he said that the surgeons treated him like a two-year-old. They wouldn't tell him what they were doing. They wouldn't tell him what the prognosis was. They wouldn't fess up to him. He said he suffered mm-hmm. greatly because of the surgery. Because if he'd known what they were going to do, he could have moderated most of the side effects, but they wouldn't tell him. Wow. Yeah, I mean, and, I've, know, the and, and I thought, wow. So it's not just ordinary citizens. It's like everybody that they treat badly. Mm-hmm. I did recently go to a doctor to because um, I have Medi-Cal so to see what they would say. And besides getting offered prescriptions three different times, they really just didn't have much to say. I, my last visit. Prescription for what? Well, the first doctor took me for I had. She wanted to well give me a flu shot every time I go to the doctor. They want to give you that. This the 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 ear. I finally got a referral to the ear, nose, and throat. He wanted to give me a prescription for a uh, allergy. He thought maybe I had allergies, and I was like, well, no, it's been like this for twenty years. And he said, well, you have some dust in your nose. I'm like, yeah, I've been moving furniture for the last three days. That's probably all the dust furniture after living somewhere for over a decade will give me. And I was like, I don't have allergies. I've never had allergies. And then another prescription, he said something about maybe could maybe take down the swelling. And I was like, well, what is this? And I said, no, I don't really want it. 
I don't know what I really want to do. I've heard horror stories about getting your tonsils removed. It's a very painful, long recovery. And I know they're good for you. I just, I want to be able to not be choking when I sleep. And I don't want dry mouth. I want all the other symptoms. I want to be able to sleep on my back. That would be nice. Um, what do we call substances that make things less inflamed? Anti-inflammatories. Mm-hmm. Think that the tonsil is inflamed. There are dozens of anti-inflammatory herbs. Linden flower is an anti-inflammatory, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, if you think that there's active infection, then you would use an anti-infective herb. Mm-hmm. If you simply want to shrink it and you don't think it's inflamed or infected, then an astringent herb like oak bark Ooh. is to shrink. Okay. Okay. Oh, bark. And how would you... Okay, so think about what effect you want to have on the tonsil. See if you can get the word for what that effect is, and then see what have that effect. Got it. I want it to shrink. want it to shrink, so... I want astringent herbs, herbs that are going to shrink that tissue. Okay. Okay? Okay. How would you um, use the oak bark? How would you, as an infusion? It is as an infusion, and I would gargle with it, right? I wouldn't swallow it. I'm not taking it to can my stomach. I'm taking it to shrink something in my throat, so a gargle is all I need. Okay. But an inf- gargle with the infusion, not swallow the infusion. Right. Okay. It, you know, basically what we want to do is soak the tonsil in the in the oak bark, right? Right. But it's kind of okay. hard. To, you can't, like, pop it out and soak it, right? <laughs> no, it's definitely not. So the most that you can do is kind of get the, the oak bark in there and le- and keep it in your throat. Okay. A gargling. Right. right. I've also seen people, um, you know, lay across a bed with their head dangling down, take some of it, you know, into their mouth. It depends on where it is and what kind of physical attitude you have to adopt to get to it. Right. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. Yeah, be creative and see what Thanks. you can do. Get the oak bark to okay. actual contact with the tissues that you want to shrink. Right. Okay, that's okay. something new. I've been... Thank you. I appreciate You're it. You're welcome. Give us a call back right. and let us know how it's going, okay? Okay. Thanks. Right, Green, blessings. Green blessings. Green blessings. The next caller is coming from the 484 area code. Hi, Susan. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Okay, awesome. I was wondering if you have any suggestions for um, stopping diarrhea that I've had for three weeks. And yes, I might in a doctor's appointment tomorrow uh, to possibly do a stool test because it started after I had a meal out. 
fight has never stopped, so. And could you be, and I apologize, could you be a little more specific? The word um, diarrhea is used by people in, to uh, describe an astonishingly large array of things. Yes. Well, basically, I'm unable to have a regular bowel movement. It's all just um, watery and like basically brown water. Okay. So there, you have not had a formed stool in three weeks. It's been watery. How much weight have you lost? Yes. Oh, hardly any. Okay, so long as there's no weight loss, there's probably no big problem. Okay. In dangerous diarrhea, the weight loss can be as much as several pounds a day. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what's going on with me. I'm actually trying to lose weight, but um, I don't know. Maybe I still eat too much. I mean, I I also haven't gained, of course, but, Uh you know, I wish... You know, I, I one thing I've forgotten, well, I mean, I'm, you, I'm still doing the infusions, which I think helps with minerals, but. What are you hoping the doctor will do? Um. Well, um, help me figure out if it's a parasite. It's not. Okay. Have you been someplace? Have you been to Africa, Asia, India? No, no, I just ate out at... Uh, and there, there's a parasite involved here. I'm sorry, say that again? There's no way that any parasite can be involved. Oh, well, I've had them before, and I've never been to an exotic what country. What parasites have you had before? I'm sorry? What kind of parasites have you had before? Um, I can't remember. It was a few years ago, but I had to take strong antibiotics. Um, Do you have Giardia? Uh, I I don't think it was that one. A friend of mine had that, and I would remember that. Um, I'd say, yeah, I'm sorry. It's been too many years ago. <laughs> take an antibiotic against. All the other parasites you take a vermifuge against. Yeah, I think that might have been one. I know one of the ones I've taken, I'm not sure why I remember the name, but one of the drugs was Alinea. And then ivermectin was another one. And so these were MDs who decided you had parasites and gave you these drugs? Medical doctors? Yeah, well, functional medical doctor, and I did, you know. God, sorry, functional doctor is how you spell quack. Okay. I really strongly advise you to run the opposite direction as fast as you can. You okay, being, well, this was years ago. But anyway, did, go ahead. I appreciate the advice. This is just, you know, it's really, it's not okay with me that you're being told that you have these parasites when you don't. It's extremely rare for anyone in the United States to have parasites. Extremely rare. Pinworms. Wow. Pinworms, you bet. That's a parasite. Giardia, yeah. Other than that, No, not even roundworm anymore. Used to be a lot of roundworm in the South when there were still latrines. Hardly any roundworm. Mm. It's just, it's just so uncommon in the United States. You know, it's more likely that you would be hit by lightning. Well, that's great. I mean, not that I want to be hit by lightning, but so So, then what? How do 
So going to a doctor to find out if you have parasites, especially if you're going to this person who's already said that you have parasites, it's just a way for them to make more money. Yeah, I don't know. This is different. The the, the doctor retired or whatever, so this is just my regular primary care. What have you used that hasn't worked to stop your diarrhea? Applesauce? Yeah, well, I used the, I tried the brat thing, you know, the um, banana, rice, applesauce, and toast. Uh, and was the banana that you used? I'm sorry, but what, what about the banana? The banana has to be green. Oh, I didn't do that. Okay. Well, that's, I should, that's definitely something I can try. Uh-huh. And, yes, green banana with yogurt. I find quite effective. And you did use applesauce then? Yes. How much applesauce? Oh, I don't know, a couple of cups per day for a couple of days. That is a fair amount. When you say that you thought you had food poisoning, were you throwing up? Oh, no, no, no. I just, um, no, no. I mean, I luckily I, I don't generally throw up. Um, except the one time that um, a couple of years ago, um, and there was a virus at the local uh, Chipotle where I ate out, but that I haven't had that, you know, much at all in my whole life. So since you've had this diarrhea, do you continue to eat spicy hot foods? Oh no, no. Okay, I'm glad to hear that because it can make it worse. Yeah. And you have been eating yogurt? Yes. Mm-hmm. Coconut yogurt, some, and then some. Well, I, I, I tried different ones. So coconut yogurt, cow milk yogurt, and goat milk yogurt, too. Good. So yeah, I just don't know why it's not stopping. You know, it's like something nope. must be going on. Well, it's as I said, yes, something is going on, but so long as you're not losing weight, it's really not a problem. Okay. The problem is when you start losing weight. Okay. If you're not losing weight, then what that means is that there's nutrient uptake. Yeah, that's my concern because I do feel like I'm more tired than normal. Um, I'm sure you would be. Yeah sure that most of your food is cooked oh yes yes Mm -hmm. good I know on the few occasions in my life when I have had what seemed like unstoppable diarrhea that slippery elm has been a great ally as well as green banana okay yeah well that's something something I you know I did wrong um I've been doing that since college, and I never knew that you had to use green bananas. So, and slippery elm, I haven't tried either. That's a good idea. Yeah. All right. Okay. Then. Well, I will. I will do that then. Thanks so much, Susan, and green blessings. You're welcome. Green blessings to you too. And I get time for our guest, right, Rebecca? It is time for our guest, and she is back on here now. Okay, let me introduce Mayor Cromwell. Rainbow Thunderheart, a Shoshone elder, calls her the voice of Earth Mother. 
Mayor Cromwell is a Gaia communicator and priestess, author, and healer. Some call her a medicine woman. She has devoted her life to the Great Mother and to midwifing the new world coming in now. Her multi-award-winning books include The Great Mother Bible, Messages from Mother, Earth Mother, and If I Gave You God's Phone Number, Searching for Spirituality in America. Mare has studied with Native American elders for 23 years, along with other gifted spiritual teachers. She is the visionary behind the Thousand Goddesses Gathering and Global Grid. Mare is currently teaching the Great Mother Love Way, a year-long course as she lives in Western Maryland. Welcome to the show, Mare. Thank you. It's really an honor to be here with you, Susan. I have known of your work for years, and it's lovely to, to connect with you tonight. Yes, your book sounds just fascinating. Um, you, one of them talks about the Mother's 13 Love Directives. Is that true? That is true. That, that actually, the Love Directives are in both of the books. I was guided by Mother to not only have them be in the first book, Messages from Mother Earth Mother, but also to include them at the very beginning of the Great Mother Bible. And it's kind of a wild story. Oh, go ahead. I'll, you can ask your questions. I can just launch right into it. <laughs> Tell us the story. Well, um, you know, it's interesting. Your focus on health is so uh, well-educated and thorough. I was diagnosed with lymphoma in late May of 2012 and was freaking out about this cancer diagnosis, but I was already committed to meet with a really gifted Algonquin medicine man who's a good friend and mother, Earth Mother had asked him for the two of us to do a ceremony for her, just the two of us that early May of 2012 and then I was diagnosed with lymphoma late May and then I was determined to go to the ceremony regardless of what this diagnosis was even though I was freaking out and he said to me just before we did the ceremony in a forest um he said, I'm going to be bringing her energy and her consciousness into your energy body, but I don't know how you're going to disconnect. And I said to him, my response was, I'm not concerned because I already know my life is to serve mother. Um, and right after that ceremony, mother started talking to me like you're hearing me talk right now and said to me that if I surrendered to her, to the extent she would ask me to surrender, she would help me heal from the lymphoma without the doctor's. And so that's what's happened since 2012. I pretty much was clear by late 2013 of um, any large lymph nodes, enlarged lymph nodes. And I uh, did herbs. You would be proud of me. Um, I changed my diet. I did a lot of emotional work. I'm still doing that. It's an ongoing journey, as we know. Um, but trees gave me healings. I did a lot of ceremony, went to two sun dances. So I have surrendered to serve mother, and she keeps me on my toes. She keeps me very busy and gives me projects like organizing the Thousand Goddesses Gathering on the Washington Mall and Global Grid around the world, uh, which is based on the Tibetan prophecy that when a thousand goddesses or Tibetan Taras unite, it will shift the tone of the planet from fear to compassion. So... uh, I should, I need to send you a copy of my books. That's I'd love just, to do that. That's what I was thinking, too. I was thinking, how come I don't have copies of Amara's books? I need a copy well, of no. them. Thank you. That would be it, wonderful if you would do that. 
Oh, I'll get I'll get your address from Rebecca later. Yes, absolutely. And those books are Messages from Mother Earth Mother and the Great Mother Bible. Nobody just wakes up one day and decides to write a book. What happened? How did you decide to write these books? Well, so the story continues right after that ceremony with the gifted Algonquin man. Um, right after that, essentially, Mother said to me, I want you to put this other book aside that you're writing, and I want you to write the Great Mother Bible. Nope, no wrong book. The first one that I wrote with her was Messages from Mother Earth Mother. It's kind of a complicated story because I was called to the ocean a couple days after the ceremony by dolphins and whales coming in on the spirit plane while I was experiencing a healing with a gifted friend who uses sound-evoked healing. And the dolphins and whales came in on the spirit plane and said, you must go to the ocean. And I live in Maryland, so it wasn't that hard to get to the ocean and reserve a hotel room. And uh, on the way to the ocean, though, I filled my car up, my little tiny VW Golf diesel car full, like I would do on a road trip. And the gas gauge stayed on full for 110 miles. And I thought it was broken. And I'm freaking out going, oh, I'm living off my savings. I've been diagnosed with lymphoma, and now my gas gauge is broken. This really sucks, you know. But then after 110 miles, it went down normally. And I said to mother, because I was talking with her very clearly, I said, are you doing this? And she said, this is so you can trust me. And so right when I went to the beach and I did ceremony for two and a half days, got kicked off the beach at 10 o'clock at night, because that's what they do at Chincoteague and Assateague, um, mother said to me, she wanted me to put aside my other book, forget the coach I'd already hired to write it, and write messages from Mother Earth Mother. And so that was written in five weeks right after that. So, and then it, I self-published because I already had my, I have my own publishing company. Um, that was written and self-published. It was out to purchase in four and a half months right after the, that ceremony with Mother in early June. Um, so that book was not my idea. And then the second book with Mother, she woke me up at 5 in the morning, which she loves to do and she really wants my ear, and said to me, I thought I was going to move out to Washington State to work with a really gifted medicine woman in um, late fall 2013. But she woke me up in the middle of November 2013 and said, point blank, you're not moving to Washington State. You're going to stay here in Maryland and write the Great Mother Bible. And mind you, the house that I was renting was about to go into full foreclosure. And I said, Mother, I can't stay in this house. She said, you will be able to stay in that house as long as it takes for you to write the Great Mother Bible, the book. And what happened was I did stay in the house. It was a wild adventure. I was doing ceremony every day. Um, the conversation started January 2nd in a really intense way for the book. I didn't have to pay rent to anybody from March until October 2014. And then the, the bank that owned it, Freddie Mac at that point, gave me a check of $1,500 to leave that house. So mother has been taking care of me, <laughs> this grand, huge trust leap. Uh, and that's how the books were written. They were not my idea. Believe me, I would never. I told her when she said that I was to write the Great Mother Bible. I said, I can't do that, mother. I can't write a book with the word Bible in it. That's too big. She kept on saying, you're the one. All you need to do is listen. You're the one. And so we wrote it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yes, a couple of years ago, I was sharing a room at a conference with Elisa Starkweather, and we l laughed because my guides keep me up late at night, but hers wake her up early in the morning. So we said, that's perfect, you know? 
all one of us will always be awake and the other will always be asleep. <laughs> right. I'm on the early morning schedule with mother. Yeah, when she really wants my ear. Um, the same thing happened with the Thousand Goddesses Gathering. She woke me up at 5 in the morning in um, 2016 in late July because I thought that was going to be a big event at a retreat center and we would charge admission and have vendors and it would be income producing to cover my bills. And, oh, no, oh, no, mother woke me up right at the end of that July 2016 and said, this event needs to happen in D.C. before the election, which gave us less than three months to organize it. But we did it. An amazing group of volunteers came forth. And what is interesting to share about the Thousand Goddesses Gathering on the Washington Mall is several gifted cosmic shamans and lightworkers witnessed a massive conduit of white light coming into the Washington Mall in the middle of our ceremony. Uh, and it radiated out and cleared a lot of dense energies from around that part of the Washington Mall. So it really speaks to the power of really high ceremony and uh, really, you know, protected spiritual space, which is possible even on the Washington Mall with the right people. And the same thing happened again when we did the gathering this fall, this past fall in October 2018. Uh, another massive conduit of white light came in, and it was but it was videotaped, actually, although I've yet to see the footage, but the guy who did the videotaping told me he saw it come in and he couldn't believe it. Um, and at the same time, there were over 85 groups around the planet that were linked in with us. And what I've learned later from Mother Gaia and some of these really gifted cosmic shamans is that we deeply activated Mother's oneness grid that weekend. So this is all part of the birthing of the new earth. There's so many beautiful things going on around the planet that are behind the scenery um, that a lot of people aren't aware of that is really coming forward to birth the new earth. And it's, we just, as you know, we live in really adventurous times. That's the term I like to use these days. Or interesting times, as the Chinese expression goes. May you live in interesting times. But I'm sure you're witnessing a few things on your end, too, Susan. So what do you mean by new earth? So far as I know, and maybe I'm being too scientific about it, the earth is, what, 5 billion years old? Yeah, um, I guess 4.8 or give or take a few million years. Um, I don't know what the scientists say right now. The energies are shifting on the planet very fast. And I don't know if you've ever interviewed somebody about this. You probably have, maybe not. Is We are being kicked out of living primarily in the third dimension to being in the fourth and fifth dimension. And we're remembering those of us who are really on the fast track, waking up spiritually, we're being downloaded and activated spiritually to being a much higher, um, gosh, it's going to sound woo-woo, but just bear with me. Uh, we're basically, you know, we're beings of light. We are spiritual beings having a physical experience. And part of what's happening on the planet right now is a lot of people are remembering remembering as in re-membering within their cells how they are divine children of mother not just of god creation and so what i'm aware of is massive clearings going on around the planet all the time on the part of some very gifted cosmic shamans clearing up a lot of dense energies that have been holding us back from birthing this new earth or ascension. A lot of people are using the term ascension. 
And a lot of people are waking up and coming forward with technologies or remembering probably, if you wonder what that, what Nikola Tesla has created, which is so brilliant with alternative technology, um, that we have to come home to mother. We have to come home to the the existence of the nature spirits and their significant role on the planet. They are calling us home also. And I work with the nature spirits too. Um, the trees are calling us home. The plants are calling us home. And you as an herbalist, I'm sure you can speak to this. And I would imagine you're a gifted plant communicator. I mean, I also communicate with the plants and the trees and the nature spirits. I'm working on the animals. I'm not so gifted with that. But the plants in my garden are telling me how they are a community of love. And they're calling us humans to remember that we are part of the community of love, and they're inviting us to work with them from that awareness and reverence. I mean, these are the kinds of things that are happening to a lot of people who are waking up really fast, and it's part of the new earth being birthed. I met a shaman from South America who said the planet will be destroyed when the white man has white light everywhere. There is is no such thing as white light. White light does not exist. There is red light, there's blue light, there's black light, there's all kinds of light, but there's no white light at all. The plants want us to remember the deep and nourishing dark and to stop with all this light and high. Because light and high makes war. And the only way to have a planet completely covered in light is nuclear war on this planet. It's been a long, long time since I have wanted light on the planet because I understand that it is unwholesome. It is unwholesome. The problem that we have right now is too much light. There's too much light on this planet. And we need to be workers for the deep and nourishing dark, which is the mother, which is the plants, which is the soil, which is woman, which is not the Christian high white God. No, and I agree with you. I agree with you. If I may ask you this question, though, when I use the term light worker, do you have a sense of what I mean by that? I do, and I am so against it, I can't tell you. Really? Yes. This is the worst of Christianity here, this high white stuff. This is absolutely the wrong direction for us to go in. Oh, well, then I need to maybe help you understand a different definition of light worker that's not the Christian view. Well, because I'm not. Or sounds like white supremacy to me. Oh, my. <laughs> it's not at all that. It is not at all that. It's high. It's, and it's uh, white. And you know what? I'm for black and low. Well, I totally get you there. And believe me, Mother Gaia is very much black and low, and yet she's embracing the higher vibrational energies that are coming in to support her. Higher. Higher so, there's lower. There's no higher, there's no lower. Expansion, yes, but no higher. Well, that's interesting. I is Christianity. It's the high, white, pure God up there. I invite you, Susan, to actually maybe look at this differently, if I may. Or maybe I need to learn words to use that are more within your vernacular. Um, because See, I, I have made a long study of this high white God. And I'm not talking about the high white God, believe me. 
time you say white, you're talking about the high white God. You are, whether you know you are or not. No, Susan, I can assure you I am not talking about the high white God. As a matter of fact, I can can tell you that the spiritual Christian dark mother. Let's talk about workers who are reclaiming the female power of the dark instead of all of these men who are out there wanting to be high and white. That's all I'm saying. Okay. And if I may invite you to also expand your awareness to that there may be a high and white feminine, divine feminine, Fine feminine. Low and dark. There is no such thing as white light. Doesn't exist. Wow. I know you and I agree somewhere here. I'm trying to like explore this conversation to see where we do because I know you and I both work for the goddess. Exactly. And we both work for bringing back the wisdom. Yes. And. What I am aware of, and I work with them spiritually, are beautiful avatars that are coming in from off planet to help wake up a lot of people. And where I'm using the term light is not how you're defining light. And if I may ask you to maybe open up a little with that, that would be where we could possibly meet a middle ground. (laughs) What do you mean by light? What do I mean by light? I mean higher vibrational energy that is no, not. Word higher. I'm gone. I'm gone. Please let me say no. Not going there. Please let me. The higher. Please. If that's the next slide, out of here. You want a meeting place? It's not going to be higher. Oh, my. I am not higher than any other form of anything in this universe. I am part of it. I'm an integrated part of it. I am not higher than it. Well, do you believe you have a higher self and a lower self? I do not. No. Uh-huh. That's Christianity. Well, not necessarily Christianity. Not necessarily at all. I, I think you put it into a box there that it's much bigger than that box. And believe me, I was raised Catholic. That is and I understand that say it's man's sickness then. How about that? It's man's sickness which infects some women. Okay, I agree that there's a wounded masculine dynamic that is a great sickness. Yes, there is a wounded masculine which is a great sickness on this planet and its words are high and white. And there's also a wounded feminine and her words are low and dark. So where would you find the divine feminine in there? The divine feminine is the deep and nourishing dark. She is hell. She is Persephone. She is the one who goes down. She is the one who goes deep. She is the one who is rooted. She is the one who is dirty. And you don't see her having any light at all? I'm not sure what you mean by that. The dark shines. The dark is illuminated. So if someone is radiating love from their heart, how do you describe that? You just described it, radiating. Do you, you see that it could be a radiating light? Radiation is not light. My wood stove radiates. It doesn't give off light. Mm-hmm. A heart can 
create without giving off light. Light is not needed here. We do not need to use that word. And especially well, some people, not some people light, Susan, light, Susan, light. some people do use that word, and they light. use it to connote a sense of really beautiful frequency that's love and compassion and higher energy. And it's not Christian at all. Every time we get here to you, it's got to be higher. There's got to be somebody put down. No, I'm not putting anybody down. I'm just trying to use terminology that I'm used to using that obviously is not the terminology that you use. Higher higher means there's a lower somewhere. I am not going to be higher because I do not wish to put anyone down. Well, maybe I can word it this way. Personally, I know that I have a divine feminine aspect of myself, and I have shadow aspect of myself. They and I'm not, the dark I'm not putting myself down when I refer to myself with these different aspects. It's not the shadow. It's the deep and nourishing dark. The shadow, again, is a Christian concept of some lower self. And what I'm talking about is the glory of the dark, the deep and nourishing dark, the dark that radiates, the dark that is compassion, the dark where we heal, the dark where we were in the womb. Because that is female. Feminine is a cultural concept. You know, when I'm in my Kevlar chaps or under my chainsaw, I'm not very feminine, but I'm female. And I'm for female. I don't care about feminine. You don't care about feminine. No, because feminine is a cultural construct. It can be anything anybody wants it to be. A hundred years ago, little boys were dressed in pink because it was the color of Mars, and little girls were dressed in blue because it was calm. So feminine was the color blue a hundred years ago. It's a cultural Hmm. concept. It changes constantly. Female is XX in every cell of your body. You, I'll call you by any pronoun you want to. You can present yourself to me as a polka-dotted giraffe. That's just fine. I'm completely tolerant for anything. <laughs> I but would you, like to be a polka-dotted and, giraffe. <laughs> or they have XY in them. You are either female or male, no matter how you want to present yourself. And so it is the divine female that we are talking about, not the divine feminine. Well, I I hear what you're saying, and I can agree with a lot of what you're sharing there. I know that you're probably aware that a lot of people are using the term divine feminine these days in a way that you may not be defining it. And I'm sure that you would agree with me that there are a lot of women who are learning how to heal themselves and release their repressed emotions and open up their womb spaces with a lot of the herbs you're recommending because it's time for us women to wake up into who we are as truly glorious, powerful people. I and agree. part of the birthing yeah, part of the birthing of the new earth is and women stepping into who we are as glorious divine people. You could call it females or feminine, depending on how you want to use the terms. But it's no. also about feeling
but can you understand that there may be a lot of people that may define it differently than you? Sure, and I can call a banana an apple. But the fact of the matter is that the definitions that I'm using are the actual definitions of these words. So what I would love to offer, Susan, because we only have a few more minutes, if I may, because I'm I'm really loving this conversation with you because you're giving me great food for thought, and I'm very grateful to you for this. Um, What I would love to offer is to just let people know how much mother loves them, regardless of the words we're using and the vernacular and the semantics. It's beyond words, the love, love that mother has for us. And a lot of people were not ever raised with this knowing and this rapport, this connection with mother that is so healing. She's the ultimate healer. And I know you can speak to how she heals because you work with her green plants and you're an amazing healer. So I just want to, as the time is ticking here, and we're not going to come to the same frame of mind or the same understanding because we're just coming from different worldviews. And I, that's okay. Different cognitive maps. That's okay. But more than anything, I do encourage people to come home to Mother with your heart. And on my website is a free meditation, which is Mother's Love Cord Connection. And it was a message from Mother of how she missed all of us two-legged being sacredly connected to her from our energy bodies, from our root chakra. And so you can go to my website, maricromwell.com, and download this free meditation because Mother is calling us home because there's a beautiful new world coming in, a new earth, and it has a lot to do, Susan, with what you're talking about, with the earthiness, the darkness, the womb. And it may have to do with more than what you're talking about, too, because it's a very short conversation. But I at least want to share this before our time is up because um, I don't want to get into more of a debate with you. We have different cognitive maps here. So, as you recall, my first question was, I wanted you to tell me, tell us about the Mother's 13 Love Directives. So, I, perhaps we have, we'll get a chance to talk at another time, because I really am interested to hear about that. I would M- love to do that. Yes, M-A-R-E, Mare, C-R-O-M-W-E-L-L, Mare Cromwell. Visit com to find out more about messages from Mother Earth Mother. The Great Mother Bible, and if I gave you God's phone number and all kinds of other things, including this generous, free meditation on Mother's Love. As Marie Summerwood said, call me every day, Mother, call me every day, call me every day, Mother, call me every day, daughter, daughter, I will call you, call you every day, I will call you, what? Do you want to leave in the hearts and minds of all our listeners? I'm sorry? As we come toward the last minutes of our show, I'm asking you what it is that you would like to leave in the hearts and minds of everyone who's listening this evening. That Mother loves them deeply. And the invitation is to come home in all aspects of your life and in your heart and know that she's the ultimate healer. Mother loves you. Mother is the ultimate healer. Mother is waiting for you. Come home. Mayor Cromwell. Mayor Cromwell.com is where.
where you will find more about the Mother's 13 Love Directives, about connecting with Earth Mother, about the new Mother Gaia, and about the thousand goddesses gathering, because I suspect there's going to be another one. Yes. Thank you so much, Mayor. I really appreciate you. I appreciate your work. Thank you so much for being the voice of Earth Mother for all of us so that we can hear Earth Mother as clearly as you can hear her. We're so blessed by having your words and your devotion. Thank you so much. We are reweaving the healing cloak of the ancients and the threads that you are adding are brilliant and vital threads in this reweaving. Hey, Rebecca, we're returning herbal medicine to where it belongs, in the hands of the people. Herbal medicine, people's medicine. Green blessings to everybody. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you, Rebecca. Thank you, Justine. And thank you, listeners, for being with us once again. Green blessings. Thank you, everyone. Good night.